down Are they gonna bail you out Or just run you around They said you should have a house The American way Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 529 of the Survival Podcast. It is Tuesday. It is the 12th of October. Let me say that again. Today is the 12th of October. October is now almost half over. Doesn't it seem like just yesterday I was reminding you that September was coming? And now October's half over. Two weeks from now, little kids will be running around dressed as ghouls and goblins and ghosts and asking for candy. Next thing you know, the family will be sitting around making themselves fat for a day with Thanksgiving. It'll be Christmas time. The year will be over, and I have a question for you. How much have you done this year? I hope it's a lot. I hope it's quite a bit, and I hope you are on your way to building that better life. I have an interesting show for you guys today. Today we're going to talk about finding a way out of the city and into rural land. We're going to talk about what to look for, how to look for it, where to find it, different areas of the country. I've had a lot of questions about this lately, probably because I've talked a lot about doing it, but I haven't talked a lot about how and what to look for and where to go. It's a deep subject. It's probably going to be a long show. If it's really long and too long for you, break it into two episodes or three or what have you. I don't know how long it's going to go, but just the outline alone is about double what it usually is. I don't think it'll go two hours, but you know, never know. I like to talk, um, and that's why I guess I get on the air and do this every day. Before we get into that, though, let's take care of our housekeeping. Housekeeping item number one. Let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Common Sense Prep. What you'll find at Common Sense Prep is no tinfoil hattery, just the things you need to make common sense preparations for disasters, emergencies, and living that better life. Check out Common Sense Prep, and remember, if you're part of the Member Support Brigade, uh, you do get a discount on all their Paladin Press books. Information on that is in your Member's Support Brigade area. Next up today, KnifeKits.com. KnifeKits.com allows you to learn the art of knife making. Whether you want something that's simple, like let's say a snap-together model, or you want, and it's not really snap-together, I'm just saying, remember when you were a kid and you did model work, and the first model car you ever built or something was like a snap-together one, and then you did a glue-together one, and then you did like a really big, huge glue-together one where you had to paint everything and all. That's kind of how Knife Kits breaks things down, from the very simple kits to raw materials for the professional bladesmith. Check out KnifeKits.com. And remember, they also now provide a discount to all the members of the Member Support Brigade. Information on that is in your MSB area. So most of the sponsors, not all, but most of the sponsors do do some type of a discount for MSB and a lot of other vendors as well. Um, I also want to have you guys check out our gear shop. we got something cool going on right now. For those familiar with the Swiss Army Knife Trekker, the Trekker, it's a uh, really great EDC knife, very uh, very simple knife, uh, nice blade, nice saw blade, made, you know, it's a original Swiss Army Knife uh, uh, knife. We have special ones that are in pre-order. By pre-order, I mean that once we have we'll close the ordering down, we will then order them. That's a custom run. They probably won't show up till sometime in December. It's early to think about, but they would make great Christmas gifts. 
Uh, we're going to order a few over the pre-order number. I'm not sure how many. That's really up to SysWolf and TW. Um, it's their operation over there at the gear shop, not really mine. Um, I'll tell you what. I ordered two for myself uh, because these are going to be a limited-time thing. Uh, they're a beautiful Trekker done in black with the TSP logo into the blade. Um, absolutely a great knife anyway. $47. bucks. That's about what the Trekker sells for at any retail establishment, and it's custom TSP. You really might want to check those out today. Uh, next up, remember, uh, you can support this show, and you can support it by joining our members' support brigade. And MSB is a way to support the show. comes out to about $0.20 cents an episode. But when I was looking for a way to monetize the show, people said, well, just use sponsors. And I, well, I have to sell advertising for a price that is out of the reach of the small businessman, and I have to take on too many sponsors. How can I actually make this show financially run would be to have listeners support it. I had people offering to donate money to the show. I, I turned down every form of donation that was ever offered. I put together the members brigade, and I decided if I was going to ask you for $5 a month or $50 a year, you were damn well going to get more. That's what the Members Brigade is. You are supporting the show, but you are getting more of it back than you're putting in if you take advantage of everything that's there. $100 worth of free ebooks alone. 20 videos by me you can't get anywhere else. Uh, discounts to over 20 vendors now. Some of the discounts are 5%, some are 50%. It all depends on who and what the discount is all about, what the vendor was able to do. Um, so it's a great deal, and you'll be supporting the show. And if you think the show's worth 10 cents or 20 cents an episode, You know, consider doing it. With that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show, which again is going to be, you know, finding that rural piece of land. And more than just a piece of land, finding a place to really live. You know, I've gotten quite a few emails lately, like I was saying, about how do I find these affordable pieces of land that you're talking about. It's, it's, it's affordable to do, right? And, and I go out and I look for land and everything's a half a million dollars or more. How do I find it? Where do I look? And people want this land for all t different types of reasons. Some want it as a homestead. Some want it because they're getting near retirement and they're ready to retire and go somewhere for retirement. Uh, some are looking for a bug out location. Some are just looking for, you know, I want to buy this as an investment right now. We'll use it as a vacation home. We'll use it as a bug out location. But long term, I just want it to be investment. Um, and, and, you know, a million reasons. Every person has a different reason for the things that they do, why they do them, how they do them, and, and what they want in return for their efforts. Nobody... Uh, is really the same as anybody else. That's what makes life interesting, is the fact that nobody is the same as anybody else. So there's a million reasons people want land, but they all really have the common question. How do I find it? Where do I get it? How do I make it happen? And if we're going to talk about that today, I want to start out with something I've been talking a lot about lately, just to rehash it for someone that maybe has, you know, new to the show, hasn't heard the shows where I've talked about this before, and that is what I'm going to call the decline of suburbia. I see... In our future, and I'm talking a couple decades here, in our future, more and more people moving toward the urban centers. I see the urban centers expanding and getting larger. Uh, a lot of improvements in the mass transit system. An attempt to make city life more attractive. Cities trying to bring more people in, bring more tax revenue in, more tax base in, more spending in, more companies in. Same thing they've always been trying to do, kind of on a turbocharged thing. And at the same time, those cities dealing with heavy resource depletion, more expensive and less available water, more problems getting rid of their waste and everything else that goes with that. 
On the other side, I see a great deal of people saying, the hell with this, I've had enough, I don't want to live this way anymore, I am fed up with what I am being told the American dream is, I actually have the real American dream, the dream of our founders, the dream of the early settlers, I want a little piece that I can call my own. I want to be able to sit on my back porch and not hear traffic. You know, I don't want, when a, when a, when a flock of geese flies overhead, I want to hear the honking verse of the geese versus the honking of the traffic. That's what I want. And I don't know which side is going to be bigger. I'd like to believe the side that thinks like me that wants to move out to rural will be bigger, just because I like to believe that about people. But I don't think that it's going to be. I think most people in our society today take the path of least resistance. And what they're going to look for is a place where my life can be the easiest versus my life can have the highest quality. And I think more people will go in than go out, but a lot of people are going to go out. I think this is a big part of what's going to make rural land a good investment in the future. I also see a decline and maybe even in some areas a death of suburbia. Now, am I saying that 20 years from now, there'll be nothing akin to a suburb anywhere in America? Absolutely not. I don't want you to think that that's what I'm saying. I am saying there are places where the suburbs will literally evaporate into a green belt. There are certain cities where, where there'll be little pockets of it, Little pockets of people, and that land is that those places are going to be expensive, and they're going to be, you know, the type of community for the person that lives in the city. But it's going to be a lot like Long Island is for Manhattan. Okay, that's the best way I can put it. You look at the people that work in Manhattan but live on Long Island, you're going to see more of that in places like surrounding Atlanta, uh, more of that in places like surrounding Chicago and other major cities throughout the United States. There are some cities that have a well-defined infrastructure. They're relatively new. They're existing close to, to decent water supply. Um, their infrastructure is in decent shape compared to everybody else. The suburbs in those places will last longer. Um, and there's some certain places where people are just not into city life. Dallas, Texas is a perfect example. Folks, do you realize that in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, we have over 6.2 million people? And it's still possible to find lots of um, new construction with half-acre lots. There's a ton of them with tenth-acre lots, little tiny typical suburban lots. But if you want a half-acre around here, a third of an acre around here, you can get it right near the city, anywhere you want to if you want it. And there's there's a resistance in places like Texas. And we'll talk a little bit more about the individual eccentricities of, of the people in, in certain areas as we, we go further today. But... There are places where the whole concept of stacking people into cities is resisted. You just don't see a lot of urbanites in Dallas. There's a very small sector of them. Most of them are people that come from the Northeast for a job in Dallas, and they want to live in the city. But even they don't do it a lot because the city here isn't the same as, as a Chicago. It's not built the same. It's not run the same. Will these cities convert? I don't know. All I'm saying is there are places where... Things will kind of continue as normal, as normal as they can under the circumstances of debt and all the other problems we have. But there's going to be a lot of places where you're going to see this very big exodus. And it's going to have to happen because resource depletion is going to, to, to make it happen. And it's up to you now to decide whether you want to try to hold on to suburbia, whether you want to move out or you want to move in. And all three choices are valid, all three choices are okay, but today we're talking about the people that make the choice to get out. All right. I also want to talk real quick before we get into this deeper about what I call the lie of retirement and deferred gratification. 
I am all about deferred gratification when it comes to a plan in your life. So instead of whipping out Visa today, save and buy it tomorrow. I'm fine with that. But when we get into this deferred gratification that really benefits everybody but us, that's a negative form of deferred gratification. What I mean by that is, if you think about the typical way that we're told to plan for our retirement, hopefully some of the Social Security will still be there when we retire for people that are up in their 40s. It will be, okay? You're going to get your Social Security. Quit believing. And you old people on Social Security already quit believing that some politician's going to take it away. Because the people that are on it, you guys are going to get it until you die. Even if it bankrupts the country. So quit worrying about it. But, you know, you guys that are in you know, my age bracket and younger, we wonder, will it be there for us? It may not be. It, it really may not be. But, you know, whatever. And we save in our 401k, and we save in our private retirement account, our IRA. We save in, in common savings. Hopefully we have other investments that we're making. We're building out some kind of equity in a home that maybe when we, we retire, and this is not what I'm advising you to do. This is the average American plan. I'll buy the great big home. We have a family. The kids go off to school. Eventually they find their own life, and they fly away from the nest. And now I have this great big paid-for house 30 years later, and I'll sell that house, and I capture the equity, and me and the missus will move out in that little place in the country that will cost a fraction of what we sold our house for. We'll bankroll the rest of the money into our retirement and we'll live out our golden years in the country. Let me give you a one-word answer to how that works out for most people. Bullshit. By the time most people are done with that plan, they're really tired. Life has taken a lot out of them. Stress has taken a lot out of them. About half of them are dead from cancer, heart attack, other diseases, accidents. About half of who are left are not really equipped to live in the country at this point because their bodies have been broken down by city life and by stress. Many of them have simply given up because after 30, 40, 50, 60 years in some cases of being told this is the way that it has to be, you begin to believe the lie. So when you watch those television commercials of those two old people that look like they're in great shape, they're probably 68, but they, they're in the shape of someone who's 48, and they're carrying their shoes, and they have their pants rolled up to their knees, and they're walking down to the beach, and they put the logo of whatever financial advisory company happens to be running that stupid freaking ad, or they're standing by the beautiful lake watching the sun go down. I want you to start saying one word in your head when you see that bullshit. Because it's bullshit. Who does it benefit if you stay, if you defer getting out? Well, it benefits the, 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 the entire corporate structure that keeps your money captive in the stock market at risk for 50 years or more. It benefits the financial company that runs that. It benefits the business that wants you in a cubicle versus set free even if you're still doing your job. It benefits the city who collects your taxes. It benefits the county that collects your taxes. It benefits the federal government that's able to disproportionately tax you at a higher income level because you work a high... This is, this is important. God, you got to get this one. They want us in cities where we make more money, but we spend more money. Therefore, they get more and we get the same. That's the government. That's what the government wants from you. That's the city, the county, the township, the federal government, the state government, all of them. Because one way or another, they all tax us. Whether it's property tax, income tax, sales tax, fees, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. 
But basically, in, in, in life and in this nation that we live in today, which has become a socialist oligarchy, the more you earn, the greater portion of what you earn you must pay. One way or another. It's not that the more you earn, the more you pay. I actually, if we're going to have taxes, I don't have a problem with that. If our tax rate, our federal tax rate of 10% is enough to do everything we actually need to do in this country. And you make 10000 and pay a 1000 and I make a 100000 and pay 10000 I'm fine with that. I paid more, you paid less, but we both paid fairly. That doesn't work in a socialist system. In a socialist system, you want the person to be more punished for the more productive that they are. There is no way to do that more effectively than to hold people hostage in a city. Because they are forced to strive to earn more at all times, regardless of what they want. Real quick before we move deeper into this, I want to, one more thing I want to do kind of in the, in the preliminaries is I want to talk about what we are talking about, what we're not talking about today. Today we're talking about getting out. We're not talking about bugging out. This is not about necessarily finding the perfect place to ride out the end of the world as we know it. It might be. It might be a great place to do the best that you can if society completely crumbles. It'll probably be a hell of a lot better than downtown Manhattan or downtown Atlanta or downtown Dallas or the suburbs around any of those places or any place like them. If you get out, you're probably going to be in better shape overall. But it's not for when the zombie bikers attack us. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about making a real change in your lifestyle that benefits you now and in your future. We're talking about living the life you want. So if you want to live in the middle of a city or a town, and you want to rent a condo on the top floor, and you want a homestead in the city with your with your roof garden, I am fine with that. I have nothing against that. If you're doing it because you think that you're going to prevent the magical uh, global warming fairy from destroying the planet, I think you're delusional. But other than that, whatever. Whatever you want it to be, that's fine. But for us today, what we're talking about is those who want to get out. And that's just what today's about. But it's not about hiding. It's not about building underground shelters. It's not about um, having a bomb shelter. It's not about what we do in case of a pandemic. It's about everyday life in a more sustainable and more fulfilling way for the people that want it. Cool. All right. Let's go through some areas. And um, if I leave your area out, I'm sorry. And if, you know, if there's a pet area you have, if you're from Canada, I won't be talking about the areas in Canada because I don't know about them. So it's not that I don't think that maybe you don't have some great places in Canada. Does some bear hunting up in Canada. Uh, does some fishing up in Canada. Beautiful places. I'm, there's places I could live and die happy in some places in Canada. So not against you. Just don't really know the areas the way I know my own nation. Um, if I say something you don't like about the area you live in or want to live in, understand it's my opinion. It's my view. I'm not putting you down as an individual. I'm not putting anybody down as an individual. I just want to t explain my view and my understanding of some of the pluses and minuses of different areas. I also would love it if you guys would come to the comment section and when I'm wrong say, dude, you're wrong and here's why you're wrong instead of, I can't believe you said this horrible thing. Oh, you know, people like that just drive me nuts. I'm not going to make all of you happy. It's an open discourse. Let's have it. I'm just clearing the air because I know we're going to do it today. I know somebody in some state somewhere is going to tell me how I'm a complete ass clown. So, hey, you know what? Fire at will, I guess. But let's go through 
some different parts of the United States. Uh, let's start out with a place I have a lot of familiarity with, both from travel and from living uh, there at two different times of my life, and that's kind of the whole New England area, but going all the way down to Pennsylvania up to New England, and including rural New Jersey, uh, rural New York, uh, Connecticut, parts of Rhode Island even, uh, parts of Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, that whole piece. It has a lot going for it in the land itself. It is, to me, one of the most beautiful places on planet Earth. It is so green in the spring, in the summer, and it is so colorful in the fall. And the winters can be harsh, but they're also beautiful. The farmland in most of the area is exceptional. When you buy a little piece of land that's yours, odds are 90% of the time you can put seeds in the ground and they'll grow the way that the ground is unless it's old agricultural land that's been stripped bare. Some of the negatives. High tax rates. Just some of the worst taxes in the United States of America are in the northeastern United States. I have a couple, a couple that I'm friends with. I've talked about them before. I live in New Jersey. twelve grand a year for a four-bedroom house. On about a half acre lot. Twelve grand a year in property taxes. Now, their property isn't where you would want to live, to be fair. But even in rural areas, it's insane what some of these people are taxed at. We had, um, but it can be better than like, here in Arlington, I'm paying over $3,000 in property taxes. My house isn't that that nice. It really isn't. It's it's nice. It's okay. But it's not like a super upper class neighborhood or anything like that. It's a you know, it's a $150,000 house. When we lived in Pennsylvania, I had a beautiful home, three-bedroom, split-level split design. You know, you walk in the front door, one set of stairs goes down and one set of stairs goes up. Three bedrooms upstairs, big game room, converted garage, half of the garage converted to another game room. The other half of the garage created converted into a storage room and kind of a mud room, big deck, pool, nice view. My property taxes were about 1600 a year. But if I had moved down near Philadelphia or even down near Allentown, they would have tripled or doubled. So a lot of what I say there's high taxes up there, understand that if you go far enough out, you know, you can, you can reduce the taxes. But I can't tell you how many people in Pennsylvania I know for a fact that had farmland that was in the family for years that didn't want to keep farming, that they basically just wanted to let it be what it was and let it revert, but they couldn't do it. They either had to sell it sell off pieces of it, or lease the land for somebody else to farm because the taxes, even on rural agricultural land, were so high they couldn't afford to pay them, even though they owned the property outright because it had been inherited. So there are high taxes in certain places up there way worse than Pennsylvania. You people in Massachusetts got to rein in your government. You, know, you people in Connecticut, you got to rein in your governments. Your local, not just your state governments, your local governments. This is insane what they're doing to you. So that's a big issue that I have there. Of course, New Hampshire, Free State Project, lots of like-minded people. And my understanding from talking to some people in the Free State Project, if you get away from the cities in New Hampshire, you can do decent on property pricing. So there's New England. My, my other problem with New England, way too much population density. Now, caveat being you can get away from it. 
I mean, you go to the Grand Canyon region of Pennsylvania. Yes, Pennsylvania has what they call a Grand Canyon. Looks nothing like Arizona at all, but it's a beautiful place. Tioga County, Carbon County, all these places up in by the, uh, the central uh, New York border. I mean, you're in the middle of freaking nowhere. But there are a lot of places where you think you're in the middle of nowhere, and you're literally surrounded by multiple cities with million-plus populations. So very, very high population density, expensive land, high taxes, and a lot of really oppressive laws in, in many of those states, not all of them. Um, next, let's look at like the southeast, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, uh, even the Carolinas. A um, lot going for it. Hot, dry, sandy soil, hot clay soil in a lot of areas. Some good farmland, some not so good farmland. It's kind of a, you know, different areas, different regions. Lots of swamp land. And if you like the swamps, hey man, you know, there's a lot of, there's still a lot of very affordable land in the swamps. North Georgia, uh, the Carolinas, Western Carolinas, uh, have mountains. Even Northern Alabama starts to get kind of hilly. So you got a lot to pick from in there. Decent laws with guns in most of the area. Reasonable taxes, not cheap but reasonable. Reasonable price land, high population density in certain centers. Coastal area is very subject to uh, hurricane and tropical storm damage. A lot of areas that are very subject to flooding damage. Most of the area, other than those western areas, North Georgia, northwestern Georgia areas, very very flat. If you're a flatlander, that's fine. For me, it was too flat. It's also hot. So, is it okay? Yeah, it's it, and great people. The South, I have found the South to be full of great people, and I mean all the way across the United States, from Florida out through you know New Mexico, and even you guys in California that aren't part of the the nut jobs out there. All the way, the Southern United States is just really great people. Um, it is heavily, uh, heavily part of the, you know, I wouldn't call it the Bible belt because it's not that area, but very heavily, uh, religious. Uh, some people don't like that. Some people do. It's, it's not whether it's right or wrong. It's up to you what you like. Um, I find the people in the Southeast a little less likely to show up at your house passing out pamphlets telling you why you're going to go to hell if you don't believe a certain thing than I do in some of the more Bible Belt-centric areas. If that offends you, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm just telling you, that's that's my experience. That I've had people, you know, if you don't believe these things, then you are destined for hell. But if you'll embrace them now, you are destined. And if you believe that, that's fine. I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying, you know, these are certain things you got to think about is the culture of the people around you. We'll get into that more in a minute. Uh, but the Southeast, okay. Uh, not my first choice. Um, I can't really tell you why other than hot and flat and property not quite in the price range that I would be looking for, but there are some cool places. There are some really, even Florida's got some really kind of remote uh, areas, but I don't know. I, I just see too much potential for storms and things like that there, but Florida is one of my favorite places in the world to visit as well. I go there as often as I can. So, Kind of mixed emotions on that. Then let's talk about kind of the Appalachia area. Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia, Western Virginia, Southern Ohio, South of Pittsburgh, that corner of PA, that whole area there. Um, beautiful land. Everything beautiful that New England and Pennsylvania, Northern Pennsylvania up has going for it. Not quite as severe winters. Great farmland. Lots of mountains. Lots of hunting. Lots of fishing. 
really solid salt-of-the-earth people. Again, a very religious-centric community, which is good. It's, it re Don't think when I say these things about religious communities, I'm saying anything negative. That's It's very, very much a positive for people, but it depends on you know how much participation you want in certain areas. There are certain places, and you can't say this about a state, but there are certain places where if you're in a small rural area, everybody goes to one church, and if you don't go there, you're going to always be an outsider. Maybe you're okay with being outsider. There's certain places where everybody goes to that one church, and nobody gives a rip whether you show up or not. And they could be in the same state. Those two towns could be 50 miles apart. So don't think I'm generalizing. I'm just saying these are things you got to consider and look at and pay attention to when you're evaluating the area because it's about what you want, not what I think you should have. Um, the problem in Appalachia, and this is from people that live there, not from me. Uh, I've always been there. I've always felt welcomed by anybody I've ever talked to. But my understanding from a lot of people that have moved into those environments, again, Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia, is that people in that area tend to be highly distrusting of people that they don't know. And not just for a short time, but there are families that have lived there. One I've talked to very recently, been there 15, 20 years, and they're still an outsider. And I'm sure there's places in those states where that's not the case, but there's places where that is the case. You're just not quite trusted until you were born and raised here and had kids, and they were born and raised here, and, and then we'll trust them. And I, I don't know why that is. I don't know what makes people in that area that way. Um, I don't know if it's a, just a cultural thing. I don't know if it's the way some people who have gone there have behaved and what they've done. Uh, I don't know if it's just that they don't like change and anybody new represents. I don't know why. But I've heard it from so many people that I've accepted it is, 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 is true, at least in certain areas. Um, but I can tell you that I've gone to those places and had great experiences. I can tell you that one of the places that I would really like to look at land if we ever move from Arkansas, once we finally get there, would be West Virginia. I think that it is one of the most beautiful God's country places on the planet. There's plenty of remote areas. There's plenty of affordable land. Taxation is relatively low. If you stay away from the couple, the very few big cities that are there, it's one of the most gorgeous places I've ever seen in my life. I feel very similar, but not quite as much the same about Kentucky and, and Tennessee. Both of those are awesome as well. And Western Virginia itself is a beautiful place and has a lot of good things going for it. Uh, turning toward um, kind of the mid-north, mid Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, I think those places have a lot more going for, for them than people would think. Uh, we think of Michigan, we think of Detroit, you know, we, we think of Minnesota, we think of Minneapolis, but if they're, they're big, these are big states. Wisconsin's a huge state. I don't think people realize the land area there, and if you get up in the northern part of the state, out of the urban environments, there's a lot going for them up there. There's still affordable land up there. The problem you have is a lot of that land that's available is owned, and it's been owned in the family for years and years. People either don't want to sell it, or when it sells, it sells at a premium. A lot of people that commute from those cities up there keep those land prices up, and taxes aren't quite as good as they are in some parts of the country. But... I wouldn't have a problem with a retreat in northern Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, Michigan, if it's what you want. Cold-ass winters. Okay, cold-ass winters. I mean, no way around it. Frigid winters. 
short growing season, but one thing you can say for the growing season up there, fertile land and stuff grows beautifully in those areas. Really long, long summer days because you're getting to such a northern latitude. People I've met from Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota have always been wonderful people. Absolutely wonderful people. A lot of tradition in that area. Um, another place with a lot of faith, and it's a, in a good way, and more of the uh, traditional faith. Uh, and I don't, I don't know how to put that. That's probably not the right word. Let's just say more of uh, more of a, a faith base that's similar to the northeastern United States than the South and the, and the mid South. Um, quite a few Protestants, quite a few Catholics, but more of the Episcopal type and, and things like that because of the, the major Scandinavian influence and things like that. Again. Not negative or positive on this, just that's that's been my experience, that uh, the people that I meet from those regions are Lutherans, they're Episcopalians, uh, Catholics, and I was born and raised a Catholic, not putting it down, just that's, that's part. Religion for people is a main part of who they are and how they behave and what they base their value systems on. And I think there's commonalities across the board. I think you can be a deist, and a devout Catholic, and a devout uh, Baptist. And I think those three people, if they respect each other, can get along wonderfully and find so much in common. But there's also certain things that they're just not going to overlap with. And you have to accept that. And you're going to have that diversity anywhere, but when you go to a place where there's a high population of one versus the other, you have to realize that you're the one that has to kind of keep your mouth shut once in a while. I guess is the best way. If you want to be happy, you can't always be the guy objecting to everything somebody else says. You have to accept the fact that's what this person believes and respect it. And, and everything that I've said about religion today is really about that. And anything else I say is going to be about that. So I don't want anybody, because religion is so touchy. So please understand that. But that's what my experience is there. Missouri and Arkansas, to me, represent the best values in land available today. Absolutely the best values of land. The most affordable properties I've been able to find, and I've looked all over the United States, have been Missouri and Arkansas. We settled for it because it's close, because of some of the other things I'm going to talk about today, for family reasons, on a distance issue. But one of my issues with Arkansas is it's so daggone hot. And the summers are pretty long. It's not much of a different climate than I have right here in North Texas. Um, winter's a little bit longer, it gets a little bit colder, but in the middle of summer when it's really hot, it's a degree or two of difference and it's more humid there. So it's the same. The only advantage I get is by being up at almost a thousand feet of elevation, even in the summer, my nights are cool and breezy. That's, that's about it. If you're on flat land in Arkansas, you might as well be in, 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 in central Texas. Weather-wise, soils different. Arkansas, Missouri, very very diverse soil conditions. You go some places where the soil is rocky, silica-based, crappy for growing things in, and on some levels it is where I have a lot of challenge ahead of me. I got a lot of soil building to do to make what I want work where I live. And some places rich topsoil. You know, there's places in Arkansas that are and Missouri and, and getting over toward Mississippi and, and the Mississippi River where they grow tons of rice. You know, so it's moist and wet and, and perfect land for that, but it's hot. But taxes, low. Firearms regulations, solid. People, dead solid. Absolutely dead solid. There's some, it's right in between Appalachia and like the Texas, Oklahoma area, and it seems like the people are just that. You know, strong in their faith, 
heavy influence of Baptist Church of Christ, things like that. Again, not negative or positive, just my observations. Very, very welcoming. Almost immediately trusting, though. They remind me of the Appalachian region with a quicker acceptance of, of, of newcomers. The newcomers it, it seem to be in this Missouri, Arkansas area and things around it, in Texas as well. We'll get to Texas in a second because it's his own world. Somebody comes into the area. Well, who is who is it? Let's verify who this person is. You know, let's meet them. Let's shake their hand. Let's talk to them. Let's find a little bit about them. But once the basics are cut, we know they're not on America's Most Wanted or something. Now they're trusted. They're a, if they say they're a member of the community, hell, welcome with open arms, give them a hug, invite them over for for something to eat and 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 have fun, and let them go. And but they'll watch. And if you violate trust, you're done. That's the, and that's why I like the area so much. And that's that's how Pennsylvania is, where I, where I grew up in Pennsylvania. Somebody new came to the area. Who is this guy? Give them the once over, but then trust is extended until it's violated. And I, I, I see a very and I even the land reminds some of they're not as high and they're they're a little bit more sparse with the vegetation. It's not as green, but even the mountains in Missouri and Arkansas often remind me of the mountains I grew up around in Pennsylvania. So I almost see a parallel there, but the downside is the heat. And that's a good thing for growing stuff if you can get it through your hottest part of the year, if you have good irrigation and all. But the downside is you're going to deal with the heat. So if you want to live off-grid, it's tough because it's much easier to live off-grid and do things like burn wood or bring in uh, you know, some type of uh, storable uh, petroleum product like gas and rely on that for heat than it is to... You, there's almost no way to cool a house in the deep south without an air conditioner, which is very energy intensive. Taxes, the lowest rural taxes I've found anywhere in the United States have been in Missouri and Arkansas. Again, I have five acres, three-bedroom house, really beautiful. It's so to see the picture. It's just a gorgeous place. My taxes are like 300 and... were 316 when I moved in. I think they went up to like 329 or something like that. I actually called the tax office and said, if I pay you 10 years of taxes, will you lock my rate? And they said no. I would have been happy to do that, just to lock them for a decade. Um, but they don't go up very often there either. I think they only get the opportunity to do it every four years, and it's very hard to appreciate property in that area because it's unincorporated. They don't give us many services and things like that. And that's the more rural you get, that's another thing you're going to have to look at, the more services you're going to do without. So, uh, again, this show is definitely going to go long today, but I think it's, uh, it's going to be one that's going to make you think a lot. I've got a lot of stuff to cover today. Texas, I let stand alone. Not because of my pride of, of living in Texas for as many years as I have, or my affinity for the place after living here, or my love for the people of the state. Because Texas is like its own country, and I don't even mean it in the Republic of Texas way. I just mean, when you get into Texas, in Texarkana, you'll see a sign that says El Paso, 811 miles, just a little bit into the state. It's almost an insult to you if you're driving across the country because you just feel like your progress has been halted. And if you come in from Oklahoma, you've got over 800 miles to get to Corpus Christi, and then there's still quite a way to go to get to the very you know South Padre tip border towns of Texas down on the, on the Mexican border. It's such a huge state, and it has such a diverse ecosystem. We have pine woods in the east. We have coastal regions. We have the you know the central 
hill country. We have the desert of the West. We have the plains of the West. Uh, there's places in Texas where it gets damn cold and snows quite a bit. Dalhart, up in the you know northern part of the Panhandle. Uh, you know, there's, there's parts of Texas that are further north than parts of uh, you know. You know, regions of New Mexico that are known as skiing sanctuaries. Now, the elevation isn't high, so they don't get as anywhere near the snow or anything. But I mean, there's, if you are all the way at the tip of the, uh, the, the northern Texas panhandle, up, wrapped in around the Oklahoma panhandle, driving to Colorado is less than an hour. I mean, just to give you an example of the rain, to how big this place is. So, it has, is, its own unique attitude. A West Texan is very different from an East Texan. We're all still people, we're all still Texans, but the attitude's different. The environment's different. East Texas, even the rural areas, kind of more of a community type environment. You don't have a lot of people living out in the middle of a thousand acres in East Texas, anywhere that I know of. But there's plenty of places in West Texas where a thousand acres is a relatively small ranch. Um, East Texas... Not abundant, but really good rainfall levels. West Texas, it's desert. It's desert, it's desert plains, it's desert mountains. Hill country, kind of a mix between the two. That's why it's sitting there in the middle. From a standpoint of people, Texans are great people. When I moved here from the Northeast, I got teased about being a Yankee a little bit. I even told a guy one time, I'm really originally from Florida. I lived there till I was 13, and then we moved to Pennsylvania. You know what he said? Yankees from Florida. And I thought, man, I'm never going to catch a break around here. But it was a good-natured ribbing. It was like construction worker ribbing, military ribbing, where you just screwing with people. But really, I was welcomed. And everybody that I met was very welcoming. And, you know, you go to the grocery store and have conversations with complete strangers. I had friends that would come down from Pennsylvania to visit, and I'd be in a, a grocery store and have a chat with the person in the line in front of me about all kinds of things. Even, oh, it's my friend from Pennsylvania. He's down here visiting. You know, his name's Tim, whatever. Oh, I'm Sandy, whatever. And then, you know, we, we would, we would leave the store and he'd say, well, how do you know her? How do you know him? I don't know them from Adam. I probably will never see him again. And that is not unique completely to Texas, but Texas is that way. And that's part of why I love it. No income tax. Um, sales tax is relatively high, but overall it's a good state to do business in. Uh, lots of firearms freedom, not quite as much as some states. It, Texas is not quite as firearms free as some places. It's not, you know, whenever somebody makes a joke about owning a gun, they always say, well, he's from Texas, he's got a gun. You got a lot more firearms freedom, let's, let's say, in a place like Arizona than you do Texas. Not a tremendous amount, but, but, but somewhat. Um, good, good judicial system to protect someone defending their property, though. Most cases I've heard about where someone's had to use lethal force to defend their property, um, they've been basically slapped on the back and told to go about their way. Um, real judicial problems in the past, especially on a racial level, if we're going to be honest, but really confined to the Dallas and Fort Worth areas uh, is where that, that problem went on uh, recently. The South has always had problems uh, going through uh, racism and things like that in the past, but a lot of that were, were beyond that finally as a nation, if everybody would allow it to be so. Um, I have never really found Texas to be a, a highly racist state. I'm sure there's racists in every state, but I found it pretty much a welcoming place, a good place to live. Problem, land is expensive, 
Good land is really expensive, and except for certain places like up in the northern part of the Panhandle, um, it is hot as blazes here all the time. Yesterday it was only in the 80s, but we get that intense low-angle sun that we start to get this time of year, and I'm just walking around the backyard sweating. Uh, beautiful right now this time of year once the sun gets on the other side of the house we get some shade back there and, and the air could be what it is but it's a hot place um, land is expensive good land is really expensive and really good land is extremely expensive expensive place to buy land so there, there's my issues with Texas um, next up like New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada people are great they remind me a lot of Texans all throughout the area lots of desert land Affordable, low taxes, some hippie nonsense in both New Mexico and Arizona, I'm sure, in Nevada as well. But overall, pretty good places to live, but dry climates. And you got to deal with that. I'm going to kind of speed up so we get through all of this stuff today. Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Utah. Um, peace of my heart lives in the Bitterroot Mountains of Montana because I went there. The only time I can ever reconnect with that, I got to go back there. The most beautiful, rugged property in the world is in that area. Northern Utah, western Wyoming, western Montana, eastern Idaho. Um, just gorgeous. Property prices have gotten extremely expensive. One, because so much of the land is public and is not available for sale. Not saying good or bad, it's just the way it is. Two, um, a lot of people from places like California have gone in there and driven up the prices of land. And mountain land has gotten to be extremely expensive up there. You can still get affordable land out on the plains. Very desolate, very sparse populations, very much out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's why a lot of people think it's a great place to bug out for the end of the world as we know it. And there's some really great things going for it. But when you need something, you're going a long way to get it. Good place to live off grid. I mean, if you have enough land and you have forested land, and you can cosmos trees for wood cutting and you can sustainably provide your heat mostly with wood, um, you don't really need an air conditioner. Uh, you can get by without that quite easily. So a, a relatively modest solar system uh, and, and wood heating will take you a long way. Bring in a little bit of propane for some things, and, and, and you know there's, you can have a great life up there. Short growing season. You can, what grows grows beautifully, but you have a short period of time to get it done with. Um, Washington and Oregon... There's some gorgeous places, and they have some insane places. Um, you also have the, the Cascade Mountains, and if you're on one side of them, you get lots of rain, and on the other side, you get basically um, a mountain-created desert, a rain shadow uh, that doesn't go away for quite a bit off the other side. Um, overall, the rural areas, great people. Um, I, just not a place I would choose because of expense, because of taxation, and because of the laws. Um, Oregon and Washington seem to have really kind of like they're like California light. They're a little bit better than California, but uh, the whole West Coast to me is written off personally. But I would understand why somebody would want to live there. Really, some beautiful places there. Same with California. Um, I've gone enough with that. But if you ask me, my top choices for affordable land, it's going to be Missouri and Arkansas. Uh, if you want to go in the northern climates, it's going to be uh, the Wisconsin, Minnesota, upper areas of those states. Uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia, those are the places where there's still really affordable land. Uh, Texas, you can find it, but it's tough. 
And you're probably going to find it in a less than ideal location to get it to be affordable. But all of that really doesn't matter when it comes down to you and what you want. And that's what we really need to focus on going forward with this show and how to make it happen, where to find land and what to do. I'll tell you, we're at about 47 minutes in today's show. This show's probably going to go an hour and a half today, so you might want to break it again, like I said earlier, into two. I just got a lot to cover, and I really want to do this one complete for you guys. And hopefully as we answer some of these questions that we need to ask ourselves, you'll understand why I might say, like, I wouldn't choose this place. It's not about whether you're wrong for being there. It's just about what I want. I want to help you find what you want. Because if you want to live, you know, in a, in a place in East Texas, great, man, go for it. I, I, it's not, you know, I, I need mountains to be happy. You don't. So you, you're happy with rolling hills and pine trees. Great. Um, If you want to live in, in, in Oregon, despite what I said, if you're willing to deal with the restrictions that the government's put, put in up there, uh, but you want that beautiful lush greenness and you can find a place that makes sense for you, hey, go for it. I mean, there's a lot of great things about Oregon. But again, it comes down to what we, you know, and it's just out of my geographic area that I'm able to, to find a compromise with my wife with. So let's go through some of these questions I think you need to ask. The first one is, what do I love most to do? If you're going to make a move, Any move. You should improve your life. And improving your life is about having the things you want in it. That's not selfish. We, we've been, we've been conditioned to believe that building your life the way you want is selfish. It's the biggest pile of bullshit ever sold to the American people. Again, who's selling you that lie? Banks? Stocks? St companies that sell you stocks? Employers? Government? Right? Building a life that you want lets you be who you are, and you will be more useful to people around you if you are your real self. So if we're going to go somewhere else, if we're going to uproot a family or just uproot ourselves, and we're going to make the sacrifices and do the things that are necessary to move to another place, then we better first ask ourselves, what do I most love to do? The things that I most love to do, personally, I love to garden, right? I love to grow things. I love to be outside. I love to hike. Those of you that make fun of my beer gut, I go on hikes six, eight miles at a time. I don't even suck wind. I love to hike. I love to hunt. I love to fish. I love to talk to people in small groups. In spite of the fact that I talk to a large group every day on the microphone, it's just me and the microphone. I do not like to be surrounded by crowds. But I do like social activity. I do like to go meet a new person and have a beer. I like a little town to go into and talk to people. I like that stuff. If you don't, doesn't matter to you. You don't like to fish. You don't care if there's lakes and streams and rivers around. If you do, you care. These are the things that I like. And then I have to look at... You gotta realize with a marriage, this is a partnership. What are the things that my wife likes to do? My wife likes to fish. I'm lucky with that. But she likes to fish in the woods, in the mountains, in rivers and streams. She does not really like to fish on a boat. Sitting out in a lake in the middle of a lake on a boat, not her thing. Now she'll sit out in the middle of a lake and, and, and read a book and get a suntan and get herself sick from dehydration. But I don't let her do that, and it doesn't really. And for some reason, if I'm fishing, it's not the same for. Her. So when it comes to fishing, we need to look for places where I might not always fish with her, but there are places where we can go in a stream and wade up to our knees in the summertime and fish for smallmouth bass and things like that. I'm not saying what you need. I'm saying these are the things, and you got to start thinking. What is you know? My wife loves to hike, so we need to place lots of trails, lots of hike. She's okay with the gardening stuff, but she's not big with it. So that wasn't as important for her. So there's some compromises to be made there. 
She loves the mountains. She loves to be outside. So we have a lot of commonalities, and we have some differences. I love to hunt. She has no interest. I love to shoot. She has moderate interest. She likes to shoot once in a while, here and there, make sure she's proficient, and done. She ever shoots, you know, at anything other than a paper target because somebody broke in the house. She wants to be proficient enough to do that. That is all. She doesn't want to train. She doesn't want to go to courses. She doesn't want to go out and shoot a few rounds off every day. That's my thing. She likes, she's a social creaser. She likes shopping. She likes to be around people. She likes to have little groups that she can talk to and things like that. So we have, again, overlap and some differences. She's more of that social creature than I am. Because she doesn't talk to anybody. I like to talk to people with common things. All right? So, again, the next thing is when it comes to people, what type of people do you like to be with? You know, I talked a lot about religion, and I would try to go with great pains to make sure you understood I wasn't putting anybody down. But if you are a person that... You know, you like to be with people, but when you know you live, let's say, in a city today, and you go to a Baptist church, and you really like the people most that you go to church with, and you don't really, it's not you don't like them, it's not you have anything against them, but you just don't feel like you have the common bond with people when you meet them and they're of a different faith or background, you have to decide whether you want to overcome that or not. But if you move to a town where almost everybody's an Episcopalian, It doesn't mean you're going to be unhappy, but you're going to lose that piece, right? So that's why I talked about that. But it's much deeper than religion. Do you like to be with people that like to talk about business and politics? If you like to talk about politics, do you enjoy talking to people that disagree with your politics, if they can have an open-minded conversation? Or do you like to only talk about people that have agreements? Do you like people to, um, you know, do you like social events? Do you like the arts? What kind of people do you like to be around? It is not putting someone down to say, that's not the kind of person I want to be around. We, we live in a world where in reality, like attracts like. They say opposites attract. When a, when a teenage girl is trying to make her parents upset, opposites attract. In the real world, like attracts like. We are attracted to people with common ideals. If you move to an area where most people have differing ideals, you're either going to have to change yours compromise yours or be a very accepting person and there's nothing wrong with being a very accepting person but you're going to give up that that piece of social activity it's going to be hard for you to find people that identify with whatever view that is and it could be on anything from gardening to shooting to politics to religion it doesn't matter right there's probably people like you anywhere you go but the more people like you the easier they are to find so what kind of people do you like to be with And, you know, when you're looking at an area, what kind of people are there? Are they the kind of people you like to be with? What health needs do you have now? And what will you have later on? Hey, it's great to say I'm going to live in the middle of a thousand acres in West Texas or a thousand acres in Wyoming. But if you need routine medical health care, it's kind of tough. And as you get older, you're probably going to need more than you need now. So it's something to consider. Um, I also think that we need to ask ourselves, what can I actually afford, and how can I afford more? Those are two questions, but you ask them together. What can I afford today, and how can I make it so that I can afford more? We'll talk about more about that in a bit. But you need to be realistic. So if you think you can afford $150,000, then you need to be shopping $150,000 and down. And you need to shop the hell out of $120,000. If you can afford three hundred. dollars Then you need to be shopping 300 and down. You need to shop the hell out of about 225. 
Always leave yourself some breathing room. And the more you can afford, the more breathing room you need to leave yourself. And you need to ask yourself, what is what I can afford based on? Is it based on an income level I have now? Is that income sustainable? Can I take my income with me? Is there the job opportunity there? Am I actually going to go on less income? And if I go on less income, how much can I really afford? And how can I afford more? How can I afford more is not always about how can I get more money, but what kind of property can I buy that's undervalued for a reason that I can relatively easily fix with sweat equity? Things like that. That's how you have to start thinking if you want to make this happen. The next one is, and this is an important one, I think a lot of people forget this one, especially husbands that really want to go or wives that really want to go, where the other partner has an attraction. Like, See, here's the thing. If I don't care if you're how much you love your family, if you've already moved away from them, moving again is easy, right? If, if you are from, let's say, Georgia, and your spouse is from, let's say, I don't know, why can't I think of a state that makes sense for this? Oklahoma. And you have moved from Atlanta to Oklahoma City. And now you're looking at moving to some rural area in Missouri. The person that already moved, man or woman, doesn't matter, that's already moved from Georgia to Oklahoma, well, their family and everything they know from their childhood is already separated by hundreds and hundreds of miles. What's well, a few hundred more or less? Now, they might have put down some roots and all, and there's certain things they like about it, but it's easier for them to pull away because they already did it once. And they probably did it at a young age when it's e it is easier to pull away when you're 18, 21 than it is to pull away when you've stayed at a place till you're 40. The, the longer you stay there, the deeper the roots go, the harder the transplant is. So the person that's already moved once, one, doesn't have as much of a connection to where they are. And if the, they're most likely their, their close family, their direct family relations, cousins, you know, brothers, sisters, parents, grandparents that are still around, are somewhere else anyway. So it's very easy for me to tell Dorothy, hey, let's just move. Where she says, hey, my sisters are here, my father's here, I grew up here, right? So there's got to be compromise in this one. Who are you going to leave behind and, you know, how, you know, I'm sorry, <laughs> um, who will I leave behind and how far and how far behind is too far, is what I'm trying to say. How far behind is too far? You have to say, you know, and this is usually measured in hours, not miles, You convert hours to miles, but you say to yourself, you know, if I had to drive and get home, and I wanted to come home once a month and see these people, how far would it take before it wasn't reasonable for me to do that once a month, or every other month, or every other week, or whatever it is for you? For some people, that number is going to be two hours. For some people, it's going to be six. I'm going to tell you, when it gets much over six, it's difficult. Five's hard. Four, yeah. Three's easy. Three hours is easy. If you don't see somebody three hours away, you've chosen it. Two is nothing. Two-hour drive to see people, you can leave at 8 o'clock in the morning, get there at 10 a.m., visit with them at until 5 o'clock, turn around and drive back and be home at 7 p.m. and not even stay over at night. You don't see people two hours away. You're choosing it. Don't mislead yourself with that. Two hours is simple. Three hours, a little bit, you know, you might want to make a, a, a stay over out of it. But three hours is no big deal. You get up in the six, it starts to be a bigger deal for some people. Now, people like me that grew, you know, that went through their career traveling, six hours is, <laughs> I don't really care. Because I'll get up at 4 a.m. if I got to drive six hours. I'll still be at your house at 10 a.m. 
You know, I mean, and it, I, I had a job where there were times when I left Allen, the Allentown area of Pennsylvania, drove to Connecticut, worked for a day, and was home by midnight. That's a pretty good haul, even in those smaller states. So it's this is a relative thing. But again, if you have, if you're a couple, if you're married, if you have kids, it's you got to take them into consideration with this question too. The other question you have to ask yourself, and this is very important, and what so many people leave out because they think they have the answer: Why do I want to do this? Because if the answer is only because I'm unhappy where I am, you got some soul searching to do to make the right choice. I'm not saying it doesn't mean you leave, but you need to figure out how to make yourself as happy as possible before you leave. Because if you're just miserable and you think moving will change it, it won't. If you are happy but there's things in your life that are lacking and you can move to a place that will give them to you, it will increase your happiness. But if you're a miserable person in Dallas, just miserable, can't find any happiness at all. Can't find anything positive about the place you live. Can't find one thing you like. If the day you leave, you won't have one thing that you're going to miss. You're probably going to be miserable wherever you stop and put your feet down. Because you've got a problem internally that you need to correct. Because until you correct it, it's going to be very hard for you to make the right choice. But asking why you want to do this is going to leave you, lead you to a lot of what you want out of it if you are a balanced person and you're relatively happy, you just want something different. You'll start saying, well, I can't have enough land here. It's too crowded. There's too many people. It's too hot. It's too cold. It rains too much. It rains too little. There's nothing to do. There's so many things to do. But I don't want to do any of these things. These, are, these aren't the things that I want to do. There's, you can hike here, but it's not like hiking there. Hiking around a, a big long path in a city park is nothing like hiking in the mountains. And these are things that, you know, obviously gra are grounding for me. That, that are, because that's where I come from, my own frame of reference, like we all do. But you have to, you have to start answering these questions for yourself. I'm just giving you examples. But you've got to ask yourself, why do I want to do this? And this, these questions are all in today's show notes. You should really take a look at them, put them down in a notebook, and start journaling them. Every time something new comes up, journal them. Make this concrete for yourself. This is a real study of yourself. If most people would study themselves before they move, they would be a lot more successful with what they do when they move. And the next question kind of ties right into that. Will this really make me happy? Will it really make me happy? Or do, am I just a person that always wants something else? And as soon as I, you know, am I a grass is greener person? Because it really sucks to put so much effort into doing something and have buyer's remorse. Buyer's remorse over a car sucks. And if you can't return the car, and often you can't, it lasts three to four years till you're not upside down in it anymore. If you financed it to get rid of it, or if you paid cash for it, you're going to take a big hit right away. Buyer's remorse from a car, three to five years of misery. Buyer's remorse from a move can be a lifetime. You know? So I'm going to talk about some things to, uh, to keep that from happening as we go forward. But really ask you, will this really make me happy? If we go there, will I be happy? What, will I, what can I see myself doing on a daily basis? When I get up, when I hear, eh, 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 and I slap the alarm clock and I get out of bed, or if you're like me, I don't even use an alarm clock anymore. I just get up at about 7 o'clock. Just get up. It's time to get up, I get up. You know, I don't have to get up at 5.30 anymore. Fine, screw it, 7 o'clock, I get out of bed. The dog sticks his nose on my arm and wants to go outside. That's the alarm clock for me. If it happens to be 7.15 today, fine. If it was 10 to 7 yesterday and I woke up a little bit early, fine. If I sleep a little bit extra day and it's almost quarter to 8, I don't care. If somewhere in that range, I'm going to get up. 
Is that the kind of life you want? Then you need to build that life. If you like having a set schedule, you need to build that life. But one way or another, at some point, you're going to go from horizontal to vertical, put your feet on the ground. What what are you going to do? This will answer the question, is it going to make me happy and what do I really want out of it? What do you, what do you see yourself doing first? Is it making a hot cup of coffee and stepping out onto a deck? Is it going out to the front and picking up a newspaper? Different. Very different. Different requirements to make those happen. Coffee on the deck, you got to have coffee, electricity in a coffee maker or a source of heat in a percolator, right? And a deck. That's it. That's all you got to have. You want to pick the newspaper up on your front door, you need a place where there's a newspaper route. You need something that's more of a suburban, rural area. Okay? Simple. But you got to ask, what do I see myself doing? If you see yourself gardening, well, you need a place that's good for gardening. If you see yourself taking a couple-mile hike, you need a place that's conducive for that. What do you see yourself doing? That's part of what will make you happy. So steps to how do we make this happen? How do we get this to happen? The first thing we have to do is never stop window shopping. If you are a person that wants something more in your life, if you want to go somewhere else, if you want to leave, then you should be on the Internet on, on, on some sites like Realtor.com, United Country, and any site you can find about any area that you think you want to live in all the time. You should be looking for houses, what you get, what the prices are, what the property taxes are like, what the people are like. Always window shop. Window shopping's free. Ten minutes a day. Window shop. There, there are sometimes on a weekend when you know we're not doing anything outside anymore. We sit down, and I'm watching my football games, for instance. I take my laptop, I fire up the, the laptop, and I get on United Country. I just start looking at houses and properties. Some of them, they've been listed a long time. I've seen them three or four. I still look at them. My wife does the same thing. We like to do it, so it's easy for us. might spend an hour sometimes. you got to be careful with some of these sites. If you start looking at them at work, you won't get anything done. They'll kill your productivity. Um, but if you're doing a job where you're not very productive anyway, whatever, um, it's up to you, <laughs> but don't get caught, right? But never stop window shopping. It's free and it's an education in property values and prices. And when you find a property that you think, wow, that's a good deal, watch it. See how long it takes to sell. You know, if you could, if you, you know, take some extra steps, find out what it's sold for, you know, so you can see, well, well that was, what was asked. This is what was offered. This is what was finally compromised on. Learn by window shopping. If you really want out, you have to save money. You have to save money to make this happen. Um, and I put it this way, save like a psychopathic miser. I mean, every penny you can save, every expense you can cut, if you really want out, save, 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 save. You'd be amazed what you can do in four or five years of, of doing that. Just like just complete maniacal savings with a picture of what you want in your mind and you know print out landscapes print out anything you can think of that will help motivate you if you go somewhere and you take a walk and you take a picture and you think man I'd love to spend the rest of my life here get that picture blown up to an 8x10 put it in a frame stick it on your desk right in front of you make it your desktop wallpaper I know this seems like positive thinking stuff, but it's not this weird, hokey, positive thinking stuff. It's about having a goal and having it always in front of you. Keep it out ahead of you, because it will make the sacrifice easier to do. The next thing is, I really think, if you want real-world life, it's important for you to try to create a secondary income stream. And I would look to the Internet to do it. 
And I would look to your passion to do it. I'm not going to get deep into this today because I've done a couple shows on it. You can check out uh, my website, jackspearco.com. Five Minutes with Jack is a podcast. I haven't done an episode in like two weeks. I need to crank out one or two this week. It's a secondary thing for me. I'm not trying to make any money off it or anything. It just helps people that have asked me questions about this stuff. But I believe it's so flipping easy now to set up a secondary income stream that everybody should do it. I know most people won't do it. I don't care. I'm going to still tell you everybody should do it. If you can set up an income stream that makes you $500 a month, that's $6,000 a year. Doesn't sound like a lot of money, but living in a rural environment, it can go a long way. It can also do a lot to mitigate how much money you need to make once you move there. You save like crazy, you build a secondary income stream, you buy a house outright or you put a huge down payment on it, and all of a sudden, you know, you maybe you're looking at a, a payment on your house of $500 a month. If you have a secondary income stream of $500 a month, it's almost like your house paid for. Or if you have a $700 payment on property because you put so much money down on it and a $500 income stream, it's like having a $200 house payment. Let's face it, folks. You can work at Walmart as a greeter and afford that. So you have to save like a psychopath and you have to create a second. I don't say you have to create a secondary income stream. I would highly advise you to consider doing it. I, I would stay away from any of the fast money bullshit, all the people that are promising you the world, do this and make a thousand dollars a day, all that crap, ignore it. If it sounds like that, discard it, forget it, leave it alone. They're trying to sell you something. Follow your passion, build something around your passion. Check out my site. Again, everything's free. Couldn't give me a dime there if you wanted to, to learn more about that. Next, I think you should definitely take a vacation to an area before you buy property there. Especially an area that's not really a vacation area. You know, if you find a place that, like, no one takes a vacation there, great, take a vacation there, it'll be cheap. Right? Find a place you can rent for at least a week. And don't try to do all the tourist crap, whatever tourist crap is available. Live there. Find a local place to eat breakfast. Find a coffee shop. Find a little place, a little diner to eat dinner at once or twice while you're there. Go back to the same place over and over again. Not because it's a great place to eat or whatever. And not because when you move there, you're going to go eat at that diner every day. Because you'll see the same people there and you'll start to actually form some one-off relationships with people, at least with the waitress. Learn about the place. Learn about the people. Tell people you meet. I'm thinking about coming here. Eating and drinking are two of the most social activities that we do as people. If you're a person that attends church, Find a church that you would be comfortable attending and make sure your vacation extends across a Sunday. Go to church. People there will talk to you. People will love to talk to you there. Most churches you show up at, they're gonna, you're, they will recognize that you're not usually there. Somebody's going to ask you, what are you doing here? Oh, we're thinking about moving to this community. Oh my God, the whole world opens up to you. What a great place to make connections. And not necessarily connections for the purpose of long-term relationships, because maybe you'll decide, this really isn't the place for me, or this church isn't the church for me. You know, I think people find churches based on, like, you go there, and you, once or twice, and all of a sudden you feel like, this is where I belong for this part of my life. This is, this is the right place for me. And maybe it's not that, but you're still going to get welcomed. You're still going to meet friendly people. They're still going to tell you, oh, well, if you're going to be, well, how long are you in town for? The next four days. Oh, you got to go here. You know, you might meet people who say, come over to our house. Never turn that to, never, 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 when you're considering moving to a place, turn down that invitation. 
You'll learn so much by spending a couple hours with somebody if you're invited over for lunch or dinner or something like that. And there's places where you go where that'll happen immediately, and there's places where you'll go where that doesn't happen for a long time. But if you get the opportunity, take it. But definitely take a vacation of at least a week. I'd say two weeks better. And people say, well, I can't take a two-week vacation. Or if I take a two-week vacation, do I, do I want to just spend it in some small town just hanging out or renting a, a bed and breakfast place? And just If you don't want to do that for two weeks, you don't want to live there. If you're not willing to spend a vacation in a place, you don't want to live there. Plain and simple. Don't buy a place in a place you wouldn't want to spend a week's vacation in. The whole point of doing this, the whole point of doing this is to have what you want. Generally, when we go on vacations, we go to, now, I know some of us want to go to Aruba or on a cruise. Okay, so let's not go to that level. But if you wouldn't take a week to spend in a place, then it's not a place you want to live. I also think you really need to define that vision crystal clear. Crystal clear as to what you want, why you want it, and how you want it. And your couples, you need to find common visions. I know I already talked about that, and I won't say much more, but I wanted to reiterate it because it's so important. Be willing to compromise, not just as a couple, but as an individual. You are not going to create that vision and say, I want 40 acres, I want a two and a half acre or greater pond, I want southern exposure to this house, I want energy efficient, and make a shopping list. And it's okay to make that list, please do. That way you can tick off and see how much you can get of what you want. But whatever your price is and whatever you want, there's going to be a delta between getting exactly what you want and what you can afford. If you have a million dollar budget, you're going to find the same to be true. Because it's just how we are. The more we have to give, the more we expect to get back, and that's part of being a good, smart buyer. If I'm going to pay a million, and I'm probably never going to buy a piece of property for a million dollars ever, even if I had it, I don't see putting that much money into something to live on unless it was really for investment purposes and I don't know that I'll ever have that kind of money because I'd give away too much of it before I'd get there. But if I did, that would be the only reason. But if I was going to spend a million dollars on a piece of property and a home and everything, I'm going to expect more more for that than a half a million or 200000 And there's always going to be that delta. So remember this. Getting 85% of what you want is a B, and a B is damn good. And if you get 80%, 85% of what you're looking for in a property and you can afford it, it makes sense, and you can see yourself being happy there, it's probably a damn good place for you. Because you can work on that 20 to 15 to 20% to improve it and get what you want. The question is, can I convert it to that? Can I make it that? If it takes 10 years, who cares? You're better off moving today and taking 10 years to get it to the way you want it than waiting 10 years to move and not being able to get it then either. So there is some delayed gratification here, but there's also some immediate return. So look for as much as you can find as far as what you're looking for. And see, this is why you should window shop. Because if you window shop, you're going to have realistic expectations for the area, and you're not going to drive a real estate agent nuts, which we'll talk about real estate agents in a minute. The big one, though, this is the most important thing you can do. Ask yourself, how can I make it happen at least three times a day? Get up, ask yourself. Lunchtime, ask yourself. Dinner time, ask yourself. Make it for when you go to bed, ask yourself. How can I make this happen? Make it your focus. You make it your focus and you ask yourself that question, you'll find the answer. As far as where to look, um, 
My favorite place to look, I've already mentioned, I'll mention it again, there's a site called unitedcountry.com. I don't think they have the best deals and prices on land. They're a smaller, more boutique listing agent, but here's the thing about United Country. They specialize in rural property, and they give you a lot of options to search for things like minimum one acre, minimum two acre, minimum five acre, and you'll find a lot of property like that listed there. You'll find very good descriptions. Lots of times you'll find 15, 20 pictures of a place. You won't just understand the house they're selling, but you'll just understand the area. Once you do that, you'll start to find, well, here's houses sort of like I like that I could see myself affording in an area that makes sense to me. And then you can get more specialized. You can go to Realtor.com. And you can look up all of the surrounding towns, get their zip codes, and run searches on Realtor, find a lot more properties. It's going to be harder to find multi-acre properties and things like that. But you're going to find a lot more that way. So United Country kind of helps me target an area. And then Realtor.com lets me see all of the multiple listing services stuff that's there instead of just the stuff you listed by, listed by uh, Real, or United Country. Once you have that, you can also do things like look for properties that are going into foreclosure or you know, go to tax offices and see are there any tax delinquent uh, properties. A lot of times you'll find there's a, a property that's tax delinquent. They are in no immediate danger of being reclaimed by the tax office. Like They're going to have to be sitting out there for another year or two before the tax office can take away the property. There's a lot of places where being one year behind in your taxes, they won't take it away from you. Um, they'll let it go further before they do that it's just because it's easier to do. Or uh, A lot of times the person is behind in their taxes is getting behind in their taxes, but they're coming current every 60 to 90 days. A lot of times the people that are doing that, they don't live on that property anymore. It's abandoned property that was in the family, and they don't want to let it go, and they just don't think they can sell it. And a lot of times if you'll find the owner of that property and say, hey, look, I was wondering if you'd be interested in selling this property. If you get them at the right time, even when they might have told you yesterday, no, God, i got to pay these taxes on this damn place again, and I don't know if we're ever going to, why don't I just get some, and we could get some money out of it, and maybe my, me and my brother inherited it, and we'll split the, call up my brother and see, and all of a sudden I've got a deal. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm able to get a piece of property that was never even listed. I don't have to compete with anybody else for it. I can negotiate the price uh, at a better, a better uh, a return. So, but you got to target the area before you start doing that. Because if you just start looking for houses that you know are behind in their taxes, that's a pretty big number. We've got to boil it down to I'm wanting to live somewhere in the northern part of this county. What's available there? What's in decline there? What's what's uh, or what's delinquent on taxation there? Or what's in pre foreclosure there? You know, there's a lot of people right now that need to sell that don't think they can. They don't think there's a buyer out there. But if you can come in as a buyer, all of a sudden they become a seller. So you have to find that area and target Once you have an area targeted, make sure you're checking the local newspapers. And understand this, the smallest little town tiny newspapers now have online versions. Almost every newspaper in North America has an online version. And even when they don't have all of the articles online, they always have their classifieds in the real estate section online. So once you find an area, find out the newspapers that cover that area and make sure you're monitoring those and you're determining from those um, you know, what's available and window shop through the newspapers as well. Even if you don't see the property, you can start to see what does a 3-2 in town list for versus, you know, a four-bedroom rancher out uh, in a rural area. What When property comes available around here with an acre, what's originally asked for it? Once you find a listing, track it for a few weeks. See if it sells. If it sells, they're going to take the ad down. The ad's there two months later. It hasn't sold at that price. That means that's the asking price, but it's not what people are actually paying. Try to find multiple uh, properties for sale. You know, this is a time when you can flip things around. 
right now. There's so much property available, and there 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 is uh, so much opportunity for the buyer. You can do things now, like say, in a in a buy in a, in a seller's market, they'll get three buyers on one house, and they'll say, you know what? Um, okay, you're the lower bidder. The 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 other guy offered more money. Do you want to offer more? Or I'm going to sell to him. Right now, if you could find two or three properties that are all closely priced and all meet your requirements, you can tell all the sellers, look, um, there's about four houses in the area available for sale right now. They're all pretty comparable. Uh, all of you are asking around $200,000. I have $185,000 to spend. The first person out of the four of you that comes down to $185,000, I'm going to buy your house. I don't think people generally think that way, but you want to talk about motivating someone to get off their ass and drop their price. It's not just I'm making an offer at 185. I'm making an offer at 185 to four of you, and whoever calls me first, whoever's agent I hear back from first, that's who I'm going to buy. This is how you negotiate. This is how you get tough. You know, there's a lot of people sitting on these houses right now. I can't sell at less. It's worth more. No, it's not. It's not worth anything other than what somebody's willing to pay for it. That d defines the value of your property. Um, so those are some things to do. I also think you really need to find a good real estate agent. I've been asked a lot of times, when I, when I found my place in Arkansas, did I use an agent? Yes, I did. Her name was Debbie. I can't remember her last name. Anybody looking in Arkansas, I'll be glad to track her down for you and get you contact information from her. I haven't spoken to her since we bought the house, and that was five, five or six years ago now. But I think she's still working there. I think we've seen her in some of the real estate publications. Be like, oh, yeah, that's Debbie. Uh, but I did use a real estate agent. But let me tell you when I got a real estate agent. When I was ready to say, here's what I'm looking for. I want at least four acres. I want at least three bedrooms and two baths. I want to be able to stand in my backyard and fire a rifle without the police showing up. I want it to be close enough to town to drive into town within 20 to 30 minutes. I want to live on the north side, not the south side of town. I want to be up in the mountains. I'd like to be close to the lake. If we're on the lake, fine. If we're not, I don't care. That's what I want. Find it for me. Here's my price range, and I'll buy it. That's when you get a real estate agent. Because when you get a real estate agent, you tell them, this is what I'm, here's a few places I'd kind of like to see. I've already done some research. I'd like to see anything you like, you like it in the area. I'm not going to break my neck to buy tomorrow. I'm not on a tight timeline, but I am serious and I'm ready to buy, but I'm making a lifestyle choice for the rest of my life. So I want to work with you to find the perfect property. Here's my parameters. That real estate agent is going to fall in love with you. Because they're going to know, I'm, I'm pre-approved, I got here's what I got for a down payment. Even if I just get a letter from the bank that says that you know, this person's pre-approved pre, pre for a mortgage of up to X. Don't think you can't get mortgages today. People buy houses every day right now. The more money you bring to the table, the quicker they'll give you a mortgage. You show up with a 20% down payment right now, and almost any bank on the planet will take a bet on you and give you a mortgage. Even with not so great of a, even with no credit rating, if you got 20% down... You're walking in with cash. They got a 20% hedge going in. They're 25. They'll throw money at you. They'll beg you to take more. But be in that position before you get a real estate agent. Because otherwise you're just wasting their time. Real estate agents should not be used as unpaid entertainment. That's why some of them turn into assholes. They get tired of people that are like, oh, I want to see this house, I want to see that house. And, okay, would you like to put an offer on either of these houses? No. And they're not like, oh, okay, well, then you wasted my time. They're like, oh, well, what didn't you like about these houses? Oh, they're okay. We're just really not ready to buy yet. See, that's you've just wasted that person's freaking time. You get a real estate agent involved when you are ready to buy. 
Not ready to buy tomorrow, but ready to buy when you find the right property. You're ready when you walk in and go, this is everything I expected to be. Maybe I'm going to sleep on it for a day. But then I'm going to call up and say, you know what? Everything about that property is right. Let's make the offer. How low do you think we can go? And use your agent to help you with making that choice. And uh, always go lower than you think you can. And a good agent's going to do that for you. They're going to give you a number. You're going to be like, I think it, that might be too low. And they're going to be like, no, it's fine. If they really know what they're doing. Or you're going to call that agent up and go, you know what? We thought about that property. It's just not the right property for us. We want to keep looking. Here's what was wrong. So they can look for something that corrects that. And they might start pushing it. They might be like, well, we're not going to find everything. Well, we're going to find this. I think here's what, you know, tell me why you think we can't find this, why this will come on the, and listen to them because they might be telling you the truth or they might be trying to try to close the deal. You have to balance that, but you also have to be reasonable in your balance. But get a good agent, but don't get one until you're ready to make a commitment to buy. The next is consider doing a transitional move if you can. This is great if you're a telecommuter or an internet entrepreneur or anybody that can run your business remotely. What you do is you keep your home, rent dirt cheap and live there for a while. So, I mean, rent a freaking one-room apartment or something. You don't need to bring all your stuff with you. Live there for two or three months. Experience everything the community has to offer. Explore the community. The community. You know, house hunt while you truly have time to really look things over. You get done working for the day, go out and just look at every, you know, get the newspaper, just drive by every house that's for sale, look at the house, look at the price, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that's even the house you would want, but you'll start to understand what property values are like in the area. Talk to people. I call this dating before you marry. Not everybody can do it. We sure as hell didn't. I mean, we didn't have that much liberty and freedom at the time. Today, I could do that. Today I could do that. I could say, you know what, honey, I'm going to see you every weekend, but I'm going to go live here and you come up when you can and I'm going to go live there uh, for a few months and I'm going to see if this is really a place for us. And you come up whenever you can if you want to keep working or quit your job and come do it with me. You know, we could pull that off for a couple months uh, today where it wouldn't have been possible five years ago when we bought our property. So this is a perfect situation that not everybody's going to be able to get themselves into, but you might be able to. If you could telecommute from your job, you can definitely do this for 30 days. If you live in a place for 30 days, and after 30 days you think, no, this place ain't that great, it's not for you. Take every advantage you can in making sure you're making the right choice. Don't go into analysis paralysis because, again, nothing will ever be 100%. But do try to experience as much as you can before you commit to an area. Um, these are the last few things to remember first and foremost as you're trying to find that rural piece of property. First, if other people are living there, you can too. I talk to so many people that are like, man, I'd love to live in this place in West Virginia, but you know, I'm going to have to be rich before I can move there. And I'm like, really? So everybody that lives there is rich? And they're like, oh, no, it's kind of a rural area. Most people there are pretty poor. Wait a minute. So you want to move to an area where most people are poor? Well, yeah, they're poor, lower middle class, things like that, yeah. Okay. And you have to be rich to move there? It doesn't really make sense when you think about it that way, does it? If anybody else is living there and they're no better than you, then you can do it too. Maybe it was easier for them because they were born there and they kind of just came up in that environment, but if they can do it, so can you. The next one, if, you know, if, if those people aren't rich, you don't need to be either. Just like I just said, I kind of skipped ahead on myself on my notes there, but if the people that are living there, if you want to live the Beverly Hills, look at all the people that live there. They're rich. you got to be rich, too. If you want to live in the Washita Mountains of Arkansas, 
You don't have to be rich. Nobody that lives there, very few people that live there are wealthy people. Now, there is a caveat. If most of the people that live there live in a way you don't want to live, then you need a greater income level than they have, or more savings before you go, or a greater level of geographic arbitrage to pull off, or whatever it is, before you do it. But if most of the people that live in an area make $30,000 to $40,000 a year for a family, you don't need to have a million dollars to pull off living there, because they don't. Now again, you may have to pull off a slightly higher income level than the median, but be realistic and understand, don't let that concept block out your achievement. Again, nothing will ever be perfect. No house will ever be perfect. No place will ever be perfect. No neighbors will ever be perfect. You will never be perfect. Your spouse will never be perfect. Your kids will never be perfect. Your dog will never be perfect. Your garden will never be perfect. Your cat won't be perfect. Your fish won't be perfect in your, your fish bowl. Nothing will ever be perfect. Period. And if you set your heart on perfection, you set yourself for heartache and misery. Except that there will be compromises in anything and everything, especially something as big as moving to a new area. Last but not least, focus on living versus stuff. I mean, I think the whole thing can be summed up with this. If you're moving for stuff, you're moving for the wrong reason. Stuff's portable. If you're moving for life and lifestyle and quality of life and having what you really want, then you're motivated the right way. You'll find the right answer. You'll realize nothing's perfect, like I just said, but there's things that can feel almost perfect. There's places where you go where you feel like, I'm home. I mean, I think it's what you really want. You want a place that when you go there, you're like, oh, I don't have to go anywhere else now. I might go for a vacation or a visit or whatever, but I don't see myself someday leaving here anymore. You know, and if you're a person that moved a lot in your life like I am, it might be very hard for you to find that. There might always be something more, and that's okay. But when you find it, you'll know it. You'll feel it. You'll be like, this is where I really should be. I can live the rest of my life here. And you'll find that if you do the things that are smart financially, to get yourself into a position where you don't have to worry about whether or not you can keep doing this, that'll, that'll be a much easier feeling to come into touch with. Focus on living versus stuff. Build yourself a real life. And do it now. And stop listening to Fidelity and Ben Franklin and Edward Jones and American Express and everybody else that says defer the gratification. Spend today for your crap, but defer happiness until tomorrow. Because isn't that the message of all of these banks, all these investment companies, they have an investment advice for you to retire and a credit card for you to spend today. Save your money for tomorrow, spend it before you ever get it. That's what they tell you. We had Edward Jones' financial advisors. You know what they offered us? A $25,000 credit card. We're saving for our future with this company. We're investing in funds based on their advice. We're taking their advice and they say, Save for tomorrow. Here's a credit card. Just screwed up the places. That's why a lot of us want out. 
That's why a lot of us want something more. That's why a lot of us are hoping that we can find a place where we can do exactly what I said. Focus on life and living versus stuff. Don't be afraid to spend money today to buy something that will last for the rest of your life. Be very afraid to spend money today for something that won't last till the end of the week. Other than feeding yourself, if it's not going to last more than a month, you probably don't need to spend your money on it. Doesn't mean you become a prude. There's a place for going to a concert once in a while or just screwing off at an amusement park. There are Just because we're survivalists doesn't mean that we don't understand that there's beautiful, wonderful things in life to experience and enjoy and have fun with and play with our kids and, and be a kid even though you're an adult once in a while. That's all fine. Splurge on a dinner once in a while and really enjoy it. Have somebody that's really an artist cook for you. I mean, these things are okay, but there's places and times for them. And they have to be spent, money that was earned needs to be spent on them, not money that you'll earn in the future. If you're going to make this move and you're going to make it right, you're going to change your life for the better. And you're going to build a true homestead, whether it's on a half acre or a hundred acres. You're going to have to get right with yourself first. Or all you're going to do is change the place that you wake up and be unhappy. But you really build it. You really create a common vision with that spouse where if it's just you for yourself and you make it happen, you do the things necessary, you put in the sacrifice, you put in the time, you make it happen, and you know what? The American Dream is more It's just up to you to go plan it. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life. Time gets up, or even if they don't. Nobody up there cares